Hello and welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my guest co-host, Jim. Jim, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going well, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to have you back on. It's our annual um, top five anime experiences of the year episode. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so uh, Jocelyn's not here this week. She is out, uh, but she will be back next week. But we're going to talk about anime. There's some anime in the notes. Uh, there's been some anime happening this year uh that we're to talk about um i i um i kind of want to start with your anime because i don't have any animated i don't know would league of legends stuff i guess Uh, it's not really anime it's more it's not anime style no no it's not uh but uh we'll 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 come back to that we were going to talk about arcane this week we'll talk about arcane next week but like arcane kind of sent me down a path for uh (laughs) riot games uh mobile experiences but we'll come back to that because I want to know about Scarlet Nexus. This is a game that you played on Game Pass, right? Yep, for one dollar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So for the measly <laughs> price of one dollar, and I thought it'd be good to talk about this because uh, it is one of the anime games you played this year. One of the who knows how many. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, how do you how do you narrow it down to your top five? Like top ten, we could probably you could probably do top ten, but I think that. Uh, Top five. Does Scarlet Nexus make your top five anime experiences of 2021? It does. It is, as of right now, my third favorite game I played this year. Nice. And I still have um, I have Shin Megami Tensei coming tomorrow. So that could potentially get higher, but probably not. So I think it's probably going to stay there. But it is, it's funny, it's that Bandai Namco released two different um, action JRPGs this year. The bigger one was Tales of Rise, of course, which I played and enjoyed, though not to a tremendous degree. Which okay, that sounds kind of bad. I did, <laughs> I did like, I liked it a lot, but yeah. not to the point of it being like you know a top tier game for me. It's but in it your top really six, top six anime experiences. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it actually might not even make the top ten this year, just because I've played wow a lot of games this year and something like fourteen different JRPGs. It's been kind of ridiculous. Wow, you've been but, you've been busy. How many of those are trails yeah. games? Is the real question. Uh, nine of them. Nine. Oh my gosh! Wow. Are there? I didn't yeah. even realize there were nine trails games. So here uh, we are. There's actually eleven now. Oh, the wow. two of them are still in translation limbo. Ah, oh. well, it is good that they translate them. Like now, the I'm I'm going all over the place, and and <laughs> this is my totally my fault. I don't don't do a lot of hosting here at the gamers Inn, so i'm just gonna be unprofessional and and uh chase the squirrel but like for the for the trails series is it is the vo in english or is it just like the vo's in japanese still and they just they translate the text Uh, well first i'd like to point out that for the record for everybody listening i am not the one that brought up trails (laughs) you cannot blame me for this um diversion that's Uh, true but to answer your question it's the first three games, Trails in the Sky, the only voice lines they have are in English, but it's just like uh, like battle lines, like you know a victory cry for each character when they d- hit the final blow, stuff like that. Then the next two games, which well have not officially been translated in English yet, not um, a fan translation group called the Geofront did a really really amazing job of localizing them like not just you know translating everything but also 
well, because I mean, there's there's translation, there's localization. Translation is like you know just kind of getting not exactly word for word, but trying to get the basic meaning of the original text across in a different language. But localization is making it seem more, I guess, natural. I guess mm-hmm. more fitting to like you know what you'd expect a native speaker or like native writers to come up with. And what they did was just fantastic. It's as good as basically any other professional localization I've seen. But the thing is that because of course those have never been officially released in the, in the West yet, that's going to be happening starting next year. And one other thing I mentioned that the cool thing that they did is that the GeoFront translations are actually the basis for those official releases. So they're actually using like fan work to, you know, they'll make some changes and such, but it's mostly fan work that's being used for, you know, official company releases, which is a really cool thing for them to do. But anyway, what I was saying is that because they've never been released in the West yet, there's no English voices whatsoever. And the official releases won't have it either because they're pretty old games, about a decade old. So it really doesn't make sense to spend the money for, you know, full English dubs, stuff like that. So it's going to be Japanese voices only. But then when you get to Trails of Cold Steel, which were all localized into English and are much more recent, they do have like full English dubs. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of all over the place just because it has a the series has a very weird and troubled history with getting localized in the West, partly because the scripts are just insanely long. But going forward, everything all the new games as they come out should have full English dubs. Cool. Oh, that is really good. And I think that makes sense, like localizing old games or, or, or just straight up translating them um, is is always a daunting task. And I think that comes back to, I think, like from the Nintendo side, you have Earthbound, uh, which is known as Mother in Japan, where um, they did, I can't remember if they did Earth, they did Mother, which was like, or I can't remember what they called it. Because Earthbound was the first, was Mother 2, and then Mother 1 came over as a Wii U virtual console thing, and I think it was like a a brand new experience, but um, I think it's, I think, like, Nintendo likes to do, they like to do localization. They have a whole team that's, that's dedicated to localizing their products. They're not, I don't think they're big fans of translations, but I think the closest thing that I, that I've experienced in a small amount was uh, uh, I picked up Tokyo Mirage Sessions because there was some chatter in Discord about like, hey, maybe we should, you know, get this uh, this goal hit so we can do a game club for Tokyo Mirage Sessions on, on Summoner's Call. So I did pick it up while I was on sale just to kind of, and I did check it out a little bit. And that feels, I'm sure it is, it's probably the closest thing I've experienced from a Nintendo product that feels closer to a translation uh, than a full-on localization because there's still a lot of uh, Japanese VO and some of it untranslated, like all the battle conversations um, that are sometimes reacting to, you know, in context, like story stuff, it's all in Japanese and, and it's not translated. It's not even presenting text along the bottom in English. Like there's no subtitles. So like yeah. that's thing, that's probably the closest Nintendo product I've played that felt more like a translation. Like let's get this game released uh, in the West type scenario um but uh yeah like uh, the trail series i will i will continue to uh enjoy from from the discord and the conversations that pop up. i i see you you uh you got babylon 
redeemer in there he's 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 dabbling in the game while he waits for his final fantasy cues so uh it's a fun game to play but i apologize to scarlet nexus this was my fault i i diverted uh but scarlet nexus is a game that's on uh game pass it was delivered alongside like a, a huge chunk of jrpgs and and um i think it was in celebration of uh games made in japan that xbox was doing i think around the tokyo game show uh, it was during the Tokyo Game Show. Yeah. Well, to Microsoft's credit, despite the Xbox being just a complete terrible seller in Japan, mm-hmm. they continue to make efforts. They're still like pushing hard. They're, you know, pushing hard for the Game Pass and the PC market and, you know, trying to make Xbox as relevant as possible, which is kind of working. They've actually sold, I think it's over 100,000 Xboxes from the new generation in Japan which for them is a pretty good number this early, but they are, you know, it's tough, obviously not being a Japanese company like Sony and Nintendo, but you know, to their credit, they're not giving up. No, I know there was a time when Microsoft had really eased off the the Japanese market and and had basically, you know, stopped trying. Uh, But it has been nice to see that effort, you know, come back with the series X and to a degree, the Xbox one, um later on in its life lifespan but i think game pass has been an excellent again like game pass game pass game pass and we'll we'll be able to talk more about game pass later on in the news um but i think that game pass has really allowed them to say hey let's take these games that are popular um you know uh it's, it's a very specific genre let's let's try to bring them to people who may not necessarily buy these games and i mean i am right there like i've played scarlet nexus for a little bit based on the fact that it was it did come out on game pass i think another game that came out alongside it was the ai uh puzzle not puzzle game but story based game i I can never remember Uh, ai the somnium files yeah that one came alongside it and then code vein was i think another game that came alongside it as well um which is a bit of an older name i think it's namco bandai as well and yeah, it's uh, it's really good to see those games come to Game Pass because I think it really opens it up to a whole new market for people who might not have played those games full price uh, or even waited for a sale. My dream announcement, which I was hoping would happen at Tokyo Game Show or at the two-year anniversary celebration they had recently, but hasn't happened and probably won't happen It's a long shot, but I would love to see an announcement of 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, getting a PC and Xbox port and getting added to Game Pass. Mm. Because that is, I mean, I talked about it the last time I was on, not something that a lot of people are necessarily going to want to pay full price or even half price for, because they, you know, they don't really know if they enjoy it or not. It used to be the perfect Game Pass game for people to be able to try out with essentially you know, no cost to them. Yeah, But it'll probably never happen because VanillaWare, historically, it's actually unusual even that um, 13 Sentinel is coming to Switch next year because VanillaWare games have traditionally been pretty much only PlayStation with the exception, I think, of like one Wii port back in the day. <laughs> yeah, they were, I think Dragon Crown was their big, like their big game that came out and it was PlayStation only is is what I remember. Um, but yeah, they have like a specific platform that they like to to go for so i i mean it's tough to say but i think that uh uh i mean when it comes to the game awards 
Uh, I know Microsoft has already stated that they're going to have at least four games announced as coming day and date on Xbox Game Pass. And I think, you know, your prediction may not be too far off, maybe not specifically on that game, but I think what Xbox has been trying to do is, uh, and I think I touched on this last episode, um, is what they've been trying to do is they've been trying to not only just... It, it is now an expectation that a Microsoft game is going to come to Game Pass on day one. That's no longer like, oh, look at us. You know, like the buzz on that has 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 waned. But I think what they're doing now is they're looking at games that have a strategic value being on Game Pass day one, like Back for Blood. Like that is a game, um, that one and Outriders is another great example. That is a game that, would, that benefits from having that injection of uh, those subscribers playing on Game Pass. And it only benefits those that are going to buy the game and enjoy it long term because it it really boosts the amount of players playing. The same can't be said for a 13 Sentinels edition, but I think that you're going to see more announcements um, of third party games coming to Game Pass day one. And I think I think you're right. Like 13 Sentinels is probably a good example of like similar to Scarlet Nexus. Let's put this thing on Game Pass. Let's get it to more people. Let's get it in front of more eyes. And then it just makes you know, that developer more popular and more well-known and and so on and so on. So, like, I think that, um, and I mean, 13 Sentinels is another game that has kind of been coming around the Discord is like, hey, like, maybe we could do a game club of this one, like a Discord game club where we talk about it week to week. But um, we'll have to see uh, whether it makes it off the Christmas list. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, I mean, that's a good point. Did Were you on the show to talk about that earlier this year? Is this the second anime episode yes. okay so i apologize yeah um back in what was it april maybe oh yeah. i know i had i had finished trails of cold steel and i think i was in the first trails of the sky game when i came on because i did talk about it some but i know i was still very early in the series back then oh that was uh pre uh uh jimmy the jimmy the play trails shovel so I, I yeah that was that. still i was in the in the stage of i really I'm enjoying these games and not I am completely obsessed with this series and it's now my favorite thing ever. Exactly. Um well okay, like but, I, I've now steered us twice now, but Scarlet Nexus, I wanna know like um what you played it for a dollar, you know, power of game pass, yada yada yada. But like what is it that brought you to that game and, and brought you through the entirety of the game? Because it's so easy to jump out of games with on Game Pass because it, it, it there's so much option there. Yeah, I was I was originally interested in the game from the first time I saw it just because, well, I mean, I like any, I mean, anything that looks cool and is, you know, JRPG anime style is going to catch my eye just because I tend to like that kind of stuff and I like the visuals of it. But it looked, you know, like really cool with these cool designs where everything's all futuristic and the characters sometimes are wearing these, like, they have their hoods up and have this, like, glowy face mask on. It looks really cool. But for a long time, we didn't even know what the hell the game actually was. They just kept talking about it being like futuristic, quote unquote, brain punk, which is uh, obviously some weird term that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but we knew it had something to do with like, you know, like brains and, um, you know, like um, psychokinetic powers, throwing stuff with your mind, all kinds of stuff like that. But what it turned out to be is um, an action RPG set in distant future where you have these, they're the people in the cities, which are basically the only cities in the world, uh, spoiler, I guess, but whatever, where these things called the Others keep coming down, which are these monsters in 
these these weird weird designs. You got stuff like a pair of legs with a flower vase on top. All these like weird ass crocodile things. Um, all kinds of like just the most bizarre looking monsters that those seem like cobbled together through like mad scientist experiments. They're really weird looking, but also really cool looking. And the main thing is you are playing, you have two different characters you can play as, Yuito or Kasane. Uh, there's two separate campaigns, and but but both of them are new recruits to the um, the OSF, the Other Suppression Force, which is the team of people with the special you know powers they have, which can actually deal with the others because like regular guns and stuff don't work on them. And you're essentially just going through the you know like you know your first days of like first days on the job, and then as you'd expect, it turns into this whole bigger story like conspiracy, um, people pl- plotting things behind the scenes, stuff like that. It's The story is interesting. I enjoyed it, but I felt like the pacing was kind of weird. Like, it just has the, all these super fast twists and turns to it. So it's like you get this thing where it's like, oh, this guy's um, started a revolution, and he's getting all these people over to side, and then the next chapter, well, whatever, that doesn't matter very much. Here's this other thing that's going on. So it's I think the term I used was the story can be interested but not engaged. But what actually, and surprisingly to me, really got my attention, made me love the game so much, was the combat. Because I'm not necessarily like an action combat kind of guy. I tend to suck at it. I forget what button I'm supposed to press, all that kind of stuff. But I ended up just absolutely falling in love with it, and it's probably my favorite combat system ever. Because you've got... Well, I I first played as Kasane who has these, like, throwing knives that she... It's cool, because she's um, a telekinetic or psychokinetic. She, like, throws them with her mind, as opposed to just, like, throwing with her hands, which kind of doesn't make much difference. It's just cooler. But she can also do the thing like you do in Control, where you pick up an object and throw it at enemies. But it's actually way cooler than that, because beyond just, like, you know, pick up this box, throw it at an enemy, you also have jump on top of this bus, start up the engine, and drive down the road running over everything. (laughs) <laughs> or or just, like, start with this bulldozer, just have it come in randomly from off-screen and just plow right through this giant monster. Like just And there's these finishing moves called Brain Crush. Like It's like a kind of a stun gauge kind of thing. Once you wear that down, they go into the stun state, and then you just have this, like, really cool animated finishing move to kill them. So, like, super stylish, super fun to watch. But the combat is just it's so fast-paced. Um... And then the other main thing is that there's a thing called the SAS, the I think it's called the Struggle Arm System, which is kind of a stupid name. But essentially what you're doing is you're bar- barring the powers of your teammates. So you got a guy with electrokinesis, so you bar his power, and suddenly you're electrocuting everything. You know, you get something, something gets wet, you electrocute it, it does extra damage, shocks them. Um, teleportation, instead of like dashing in and out, towards an enemy, you could teleport in and out. Um, There's, I think, was it nine different powers? There's, like, duplication, where you can have, you can throw more copies of the same object and have copies of yourself attacking. Um, Pyrokinesis, so fire. All all kinds of just really super cool stuff, and depending on what type of enemy you're fighting, you might want a different power. Sometimes, I kind of wish it had been maybe a little more in-depth with the really needing powers, specific powers to defeat enemies, 
you still do a lot of the time, but a lot of times it can be just like, yeah, just keep on attacking and throwing stuff at it. It'll die. It'll be fine. But it's still really fun, especially once you get later in the game and can activate up to four powers at once and do these like long combos of an attack, jump back, throw something at it, attack again, jump back, repeat. And there's like these cool animations that go along with it the further you get in the combo. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe it. It's just the most fun I've ever had, just, you know, like attacking stuff in a game, essentially. Yeah. No, I think I've seen, uh, I didn't get too far when I played it. I definitely uh, got to the point where I think it introduces the two, uh, you get to the choice of the campaigns and you go in and you are a new recruit and you're, you're sort of, it seems as though the process of being this like, uh, I don't know, special ops person, uh, like the link, I think it's the linking process that they say like can like really take it out of you. And, yep. uh, and you're like one of the few that can survive or handle it to a degree to make you a successful uh, soldier. And I think I got to the point where it, you, you left the training area and you go into this big, not this big open world, but you go into the, um, to this open world area. And then it starts with like phone messages. And I think that's like sort of where the dialogue comes in. And, um, yeah, I think that's as far as I got, but I, I think it's, the combat that you describe, like even in this tutorial, they really do at the very beginning introduce you to the idea of like, look, you're not just going to be kicking and punching. You're going to have these special powers to um, take over inanimate objects, not just to throw them around, but to like have them do things. And I think the tutorial has like a bus that you can, or or maybe not the tutorial, but at least the first level has like a bus that you can control, I think. I might be misremembering, but I do remember a bus being involved. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun sort of experience. And it's like, it is it is one of those games that I think is, and it's fully localized. So again, like back to our conversation about translation versus localized. And I think this one is, is fully localized. And um, it's got, I think, really good VO, uh, voiceover stuff. And and um yeah, like it's it's a lot of fun. I'll say that um, it is, I believe, the first time that I have ever had the choice between Japanese and English um, voiceover for a game, and actually chose to go with English the first time I played it, because basically because I know there's like there's conversation and combat that which can be kind of like context clues, stuff like that, telling you, giving you advice on what to do, and warning you about stuff. And I was worried that with action combat, it could be pretty hard to actually you know read the stuff on the side of the screen so i tried the english and i really liked it it was extremely well done i really i thought that basically everybody did a really outstanding job with the voice acting i i think so too i think that uh, i haven't played a lot but i do want to get back to it i think the struggle i had is i was uh i was playing or i am still playing tales of arise and i was like <laughs> i don't know if i can do two big jrpgs at the same time um but I mean, that's a good point. Is is Scarlet Nexus like a JRPG, or is it like more of a like an action, you know, game? Like, or is it does it have a lot of RPG elements in it? Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to bring up. That it is definitely a JRPG, and in my opinion, it is too much of an RPG. I think they made a mistake by, and probably part of why it didn't like get the attention I think it deserves overall is because they went too far down the RPG route and not enough focus on the action, because the action is the best part 
But then there's like these side quests, if you can even call them that, which are just the most bland, basic, and annoying, like go kill this monster in this certain way or bring me this item kind of thing with nothing more than like a couple lines of lame dialogue like, this type of monster attacked my brother and hurt him. Get revenge for me. That kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. It really feels like the developers weren't making that type of game. And then someone along the line was like, this is technically an RPG, right? There should be side quests. So they had to add some type of side quests in, but they didn't have time to actually make them good. They're just, they're, I mean, they're complete garbage. The rewards are basically useless. Um, and just various little things. Like, I think the, like, I, I talked about how much I love the combat, but I especially really love the combat in the last half to third of the game. Once you really get a lot of, like, the stuff in your, um, I think they call it the brain map, but essentially it's, you know, like your skill tree. Once you get a lot of stuff there, that's when you really unlock the ability to do these big combos to have all these powers active at once, stuff like that. And I feel like they really made a mistake by uh, locking that like so far into the game before you get like to have all of the cool stuff. Like at the beginning of the game, you can only do one power at once. You have to unlock the ability even to have two of them, which I think should have been there basically by default from the beginning because that's like the whole point of this game is the the powers. That's what makes it fun and interesting. And by locking that stuff quite a few hours into the story and what's probably about a 30 to 35 hour campaign, whichever of them you choose. Um, that, I think a lot of people probably tried it and then kind of fell off because, you know, they thought, okay, yeah, it's fun, but not really anything special. But if you stick with it for long enough, then it does become just so much more interesting and dynamic. And I think they really shot themselves in the foot by thinking too much of, of it as like, you know, this drawn out action RPG when it really should have been an action game with RPG elements that's really focused on, you know, like there's, you know, like leveling up, stuff like that. But, you know, it should have been all about the cool experience of using these awesome abilities to fight all these like really bizarre monsters. Mm -hmm. And it gets to that point eventually, but it takes kind of a long time, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Like, I think that, uh, they it sounds like they've tried to like expand what you're unlocking from a from a combat standpoint and um that can sometimes get in the way of an experience you know yeah i think it would have been better off if you got most of the cool stuff by probably about the halfway point of the game and then the rest of the game was about essentially having like new and more difficult enemies to deal with we have to you really engage with the combat system fully and think about what powers you're using and when, as opposed to being, you know, essentially it takes three, two thirds of the game to gain all these powers. Then you're just kind of fighting mostly the same stuff the rest of the game, which is, you know, it works for like kind of a standard JRPG, but for something like this, where the action is the point of the game, they really could have done better with it. I'll I'll mention a couple other quick things about it. Um, Visually, I think it's really cool. It's, um, I'm bad at describing, like, scenery and stuff like that, so I'll just say that I think it's a really cool visual style. And the music is generally really excellent as well. The second phase of the final boss theme is, I think, spectacular. I think probably my second favorite final boss theme ever. It's just really good. The That phase of the boss is also incredibly cool visually. 
it unfortunately is actually kind of easy, even though it's like so it's like you know it has the best music, looks really freaking cool, but it wasn't really much of a challenge, which is a shame. But if anyone's if anyone's not planning to play the game, I'd recommend looking up the final boss fight on YouTube, just because it does look really freaking cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, just it's a game with its flaws. I understand why it didn't catch on that well and why it kind of got rated lower than a rise. If I'm looking at it from a purely critical perspective, I, I would put a rise higher, even though I personally had a lot more fun with Scarlet Nexus. But there was, there's a lot of potential there, and I really hope they that it sold well enough to get a sequel in the future because this, it's a really cool game. And it'd be really great if they could get another chance to kind of iron out the kinks, refine the gameplay, and maybe give it give the the experience it really deserves. Yeah, well, that's really good to hear. I, I think that uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and and I'm glad that it has sort of that uh, that appeal of like you know fun combat. I think that when you look at Tales of Arise, it does have a very sort of Tales feel to the combat, and it felt like what I played of Scarlet Nexus had its own you know stab at the combat system it kind of felt and kind of sounds like a combination of maybe you know bayonetta and control you know where you are manipulating objects and using your psychic powers to have them do things and then bayonetta being more of like the flashy moving around dynamic combat um yeah so yeah i'd say that's actually pretty accurate it's not as not as like combo intensive as bayonetta um, it's you know not quite that like hyper fast pace like constantly mashing buttons kind of thing of like a bayonetta or a devil may cry at least from what I understand of those games I haven't really played them much but it's um, but instantly when I played the game it did remind me of control with the way the psychokinesis works except it's just way cooler mm-hmm. yeah no that's really cool I I think I'll, I'll get back to it I'm not gonna like attach it to any sort of update corner or game club to encourage me to finish it. But I, I really do want to kind of give it some more time. Uh, Cause I, I did like the idea of the combat and from what you've been posting in the discord, I was really, I was really interested in seeing more of it. Um, I mean, that's really good. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you checked it out. I'm glad you, <laughs> you uh, subscribed to game pass to finish it and you got it, you got it done in the $1 time frame. That's always, that's always a good, uh, a good hit. Um, for me, I mean, we'll take we can take a break from anime for a little bit. Uh, I'll quickly talk about um, the fact that Arcane, which is the League of Legends, you know, uh, television series on Netflix, encouraged me to download not one but two mobile games from Riot. Um, I have no interest in playing League of Legends on PC. I think a lot of people say like, "Oh, it's it's way too toxic," and I know it still has that um, that sort of reputation. Um, but for me, it's it's that alongside um, just how complex that game is. Like, I feel like diving into League of Legends would be a tough sell for me because it is something that, let's face it, is likely a flavor of of the month in terms of like I'm really into Arcane. I want to experience more from from this from this franchise. Let's check out um, some of these other Riot games. So. I played League of Legends Wild Rift, which is the mobile version of League of Legends. And I know like a lot of folks, why would you play a MOBA on mobile? And there's been a couple of these experiences that I've played in the past. I can't specifically remember the the one that I played 
back in the day, but it had a, a version that came out on Switch as well. But then also you have Pokemon Unite, which came out um, both on Switch and uh, mobile. And it f- very much feels like that. It's like a a very trimmed down version of League of Legends, but keeps that feel. Um, you still are, you know, laning, you're jungling, like you're p- choosing your heroes, you're buying items. Uh, but the critical thing here is that it has a really good onboarding system where if you play Wild Rift, it starts you off with a very directed tutorial um, that slowly introduces you to the game, but also is constantly providing you with new heroes. Right off the bat, you get to pick from one of five heroes, but you don't need to worry about not being able to get those other heroes because they give them all to you by the time you're you're finishing the tutorial. You're unlocking a good portion. Uh, I'd say maybe like a third of the roster, maybe a quarter. And I and and the first one you you can choose from is like I, I think you can get. Um, uh, Jinx, who's who's the main character, one of the main characters in the in the uh, cartoon cartoon uh, television series. I guess it is a cartoon. Um, so you you get those those characters, those well known characters right off the bat. And I really enjoyed sort of this tutorial system that they were offering. And I've I've actually been having a lot of fun, like playing real matches against real people. And and uh, there is, I think there was a mode where I had played enough where it's like, hey. Did you know there's a live chat option and you can enable it whenever you want? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm nope. I'm not gonna talk no about it. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a ping system. People use it to I don't know if they're using it to a degree that is that is helpful, but it's there's enough there within the system that you can uh you don't have to type. You can just like ping the map and say, like, okay, I'm retreating or I'm heading up here to fight. They have like similar to Heroes of the Storm, they have these moments where the these monsters will spawn in the jungle and you can go in there and kill them and get a buff for your team. And there are strategic moments to do that when you've taken out a lot of the other uh the other team and you want to go do the objective. Um that's a possibility. So like I I think it's like it it is very much a a, a great adaptation of League of Legends on mobile. Uh, there's no controller support, um, which is a bit of a bummer because I know I have like the backbone controller for iOS, and it would have been nice to kind of try it out uh, with a controller. Um, but the touch controls work really well. Like I think on both these games I played, like they really did a great job at taking that UI and making it fit onto uh, your phone. And the only thing I'll say is like, I'm so used to pausing my games. And this is why I don't play a lot of like live service games because it, it can be, you can't pause live service uh, type games is um, you obviously can't pause a match. Like if you're in, you're in. And I think matches take between 15 and 20 minutes. So it does match more of the hero's style of like being a shorter experience. Um, but like, it's still a long time like this isn't going to be oh I have a quick 5 minutes I'm going to go check into my game like you do I find you do have to invest like you have to have that 20 minutes to get in finish a game get out um so it is like a game you have to like plan to be able to sit on the on the couch or whatever and play for uh, for 20 minutes um yeah, it's probably a bit more like um it's more like a quote unquote real game on mm-hmm. a phone rather than what you think of as mobile games, which is this, you know, like, quick, like, get in there for five minutes when you have time, just do a quick 
match or whatever the thing is in the game and then be done with it. But it does require like a real-time commitment, similar to what you'd have if you sat down to play a lot of PC or console games. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's... That is a really good point. Like it, it is a, it is less of like what is what we know as a traditional mobile game where you are filling five to fifteen minute gaps. This is a game that you have to like sit down and plan to play. I mean, similar to Hearthstone, right? Like Hearthstone is available on mobile platforms, and you do have to invest that time if you're heading into a PvP match. Um, it's not necessarily as long, but you still have to have that attention given to it as opposed to say Fire Emblem Heroes or other arcade games that you can just kind of like stop playing whenever you're, whenever you need to. Um, but I, I mean, I've enjoyed it. Like I've had a, a lot of fun, like they've really taken those characters. It feels like they've really ripped them from League of Legends and put them into this mobile format and it works really well. Um, I don't know if their kits are sort of modified in any way, but I'm sure like they are, changed in some fashion to make them fit to the mobile sort of um control scheme but like it it feels uh it's very advanced like you can do multi-targeting so like you can um as you you have an attack button that'll basically tell your hero to um just start attacking whatever's in front of them and it'll prioritize um i think it'll prioritize uh towers then heroes then then the i guess the creeps that are coming at you and uh but then you can also like hold on to that targeting button and then slide your thumb and it, and like kind of like slide it towards a specific hero or a specific um, uh, uh, enemy that's fighting you. Like say you want to take out the siege units that have been spawning. So like that works really well and it's just a tap of the button to like stop that focus. And it just, it keeps you in the game. It keeps you focused on what you're trying to do, which is take out the enemy. And it's um, it's one of the first things they teach you and it really helps you learn how to target properly when you're when you're fighting your enemy and um it feels really good it's solid like i don't think i would ever need to play league of legends proper because i have this like outlet to go in and play wild rift and just kind of have fun with it i don't have an attachment to all the heroes so like the heroes they've been giving me for free um have been fine like it's there's been enough choice there that i feel like i'm not like oh man i really want to play as well, really, like you're just looking at the characters from from the game or from the show for me because I'm coming from the show to the game and they're all there like and they're all being offered to me one at a time like for free. Like I think I have Jinx and I think I've seen uh, Jace and Vi. I think Vi is free as well because you also get heroes for leveling up like your profile. You get like gaining XP and you get free heroes that way too. So I th- I think all the heroes are obtainable just through progression and you you get um you get uh currency in-game currency not premium currency but in-game currency that you can use to unlock heroes early and i actually came to a point where i'd already unlocked a hero and i was like hey the hero that you're gonna get for this progression you already have so here choose from these other ones and it's just been honestly really fair i'm so used to having to like you know, strive for getting specific heroes and like Fire Emblem heroes. So it's kind of like refreshing to be like, no, we're going to give you the heroes. You still have to pay for the cosmetics and stuff. Um, but that's to be expected in a free to play game. And I mean, I don't have a wild attachment to these characters. So I don't, I haven't really gotten to the point of like, I need this character to be, uh, you know, in a, in a, 
in a holiday outfit, you know, like I'm cool just having the, cause the designs are really good, but I don't know. Like I'm surprisingly having a lot of fun with it. I know like there's talk of it coming to console. So hopefully like that will um, bring controller support to iOS and Android. Um, I haven't done a lot of digging on it to see if it's in the planning phases, but uh... I'm not sure exactly where it is in development, but from the beginning when they announced wild rift, it, it was announced to be both consoles and mobile. So it's definitely going to be coming. It's um, I'm not, I wonder with controller support, if, if there was like, um, you know, a decided advantage to control using controller, they could potentially ban it on mobile, but I'm guessing probably not because when you think about stuff like Fortnite and call of duty being on mobile where you can use a controller or, you know, touch screen and they seem to be fine with that. So I think that for like a MOBA, which has much less, even though MOBAs are difficult to do with a controller compared to um, like a mouse and keyboard, I don't think it's anywhere near the degree of, say, a touchscreen versus a mouse and keyboard or controller with a, you know, a precision shooter like a Call of Duty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, I think if you were to play this MOBA with a controller, I don't think it's going to give you an advantage. I think it's just a, like a, like an aesthetics, like whether you feel more comfortable playing with it. I would, for me, like the biggest hurdle I've had, I played it on iPad and I played it on my iPhone. Um, my iPad's newer than the than the iPhone. So I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out on my iPad. And, and I think the struggle there is that the virtual buttons are placed in a way where, yes, they're reachable, but it can be a little awkward, like supporting the screen and like trying to extend your thumbs in a way that, that will allow you to hit all the buttons. Um, so it's not necessarily as valid an experience on the iPad, but if it had controller support, you could put your iPad in like a, like a little, um, like stand, and then you could just sync your controller and play that way. And, and I know again, like a lot of people would be like, oh, well, if you're getting really into League of Legends, you should probably just play League of Legends. But like, I, I really think that it is an experience that is a lot of fun in this like trimmed down fashion. Like I... There's a reason I don't play Dota. There's a reason I don't play League of Legends. But there was always this fascination with Heroes of the Storm because it was more of a, I don't want to say simple approach to the to the MOBA genre, but more of like a like a trimmed down approach. Like it, it was very focused, and um, it didn't have a lot. Like I know Wild Rift has like last hit and and that sort of thing, um, and and um, all the players level individually. So like they have that. But I don't know. It's just something about like a very focused offering of this type of combat. I do really enjoy it because I I played Dota as a Warcraft three mod back in the day and and had a lot of fun. Uh, but I think that was back when it was a little. Again, it was within the constraints of like a mod, and it was just a little more focused, right? But it get, it gets more complex when you start to expand upon it and stuff. But yeah. yeah. I don't think that people enjoying Wild Rift means that they would enjoy League of Legends, both because, I mean, it's a very different experience, this, you know, like a 15-minute, 20-minute game versus a game that can essentially, like, in theory, go on basically forever in a stalemate. You know, it's obviously a very different level of commitment, and even though, yeah, it's probably a a stripped-down version, you know, it has its own complexity, but certainly not to the degree of League proper. Or you know, like Dota, or even Smite, which is somewhat simpler than those, like the you know the big ones. But and, and of course, Heroes is like you said, more focused and like a shorter experience. This is kind of like much more 
let's see. I mean, Pokemon Unite is obviously like the super, super casual MOBA. Mm-hmm. So I'd say this is more like the kind of like a mobile version of Heroes of the Storm in a way, mm-hmm. which is something that Blizzard maybe should have looked at at some point, but they don't really seem to be very good at thinking outside of the box these days. <laughs> yeah, they're not very good at, at uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely, they, they have, uh, they have not dabbled with mobile in a way that has been strategic, I think. And um, they haven't. They haven't really done much to expand their IPs. I was actually just kind of thinking about this the other day for some reason that they've got these really popular, really valuable IPs, but as far as like essentially doing something like a sort of a type of spin-off game or whatever, using these valuable IPs, you have Hearthstone, which was tremendously successful for them, and then they just did nothing else until what Diablo Immortal, which still isn't out yet, like two years after it was announced. Yeah. But they could be doing, like, I mean, people always say, you like, StarCraft, literally StarCraft anything would be good because they've basically done nothing with that for years now, except for, I guess, the co-op heroes, which they've also completely stopped doing now. But they have all these opportunities with these games that people would give a chance just based on the IP, but they just, for whatever reason, have decided... To not do it, to only focus on, you know, like the big mainline titles and kind of abandon everything else. And it's funny because Riot for so long did only League of Legends. They, you know, people would jokingly call them Riot Game because they didn't have games. They just had a single game. But now they have so many different games, most of them in the League of Legends IP, while Blizzard has, you know... Has, has had these valuable IPs and has done a lot of games in the past, but they seems like they've really focused on just really big titles while Riot is doing, you know, not just Wild Rift and Legends of Ruterra, but also Ruin King, you know, a third-party developed game in the League of Legends universe, or that Hextech Mayhem, which, you know, just kind of like a $10 Steam and mobile, you know, you know just... A little, you know, fun game, not anything big or serious or anything. And Blizzard could be doing that. They could be developing stuff either internally or farming it out to third-party developers with their supervision, and they're just not. And I don't understand why. I that is, I mean, I mean, you look at their mobile offering, which is going to be Diablo Immortal, is essentially that. It's them saying like. Um, like licensing out Diablo, they still have a very dedicated internal team that is working with, I think it's Netties. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I think you're right. Like the, the two games that were recently released by Riot Games as sort of like a publishing deal um, are, are, I'm really interested in that Ruin King game because it's, it's from a team that did um, both, you know, previously Darksiders, but also they did a similar game. I was in Battle Chasers, which, uh, Val in the, in the Discord was kind of like saying like, oh, it's based on a comic. I had no idea. But, I mean, it makes sense considering the guy who leads um, that team. I think it's Air Airship Games. Uh, he is... Uh, Airship Syndicate. Yeah, Airship Syndicate. He is a, he's a comic book uh, creator. So it makes sense. And I think that the the uh, the Runner game that you were talking about, it's by the BitTrip Runner developers, uh, which I really adored that series. And when I found that, I was like, okay, I'm suddenly, you know, much more interested in this game because I really did like those smaller sort of, you know, um, auto running games that you could you just pick up and play and, and have fun with. But like um, the other game I mentioned, I, I played two mobile games. The other one, I won't t- 
you know, talk a lot about it because I'm, I'm just scratching the surface on it, but I uh, might talk more about it next week when we talk about Arcane, but Legends of Runeterra uh, on iOS, which is a game that, um, you know, when it came out, it was one of those things of like, oh yeah, Riot Games is doing the Hearthstone now, you know, and like, when are they going to do the RTS? And And I think like, as you said, now that they are legitimately Riot Games, uh, I think they really are in their own sort of level with this stuff. Like, I, I don't think you can make those jokes anymore of like, they're just following the trend. Like, I think that um, they are, they're doing their own thing. And I mean, now they're making an MMO as well. And, and I mean, now you can't say like, oh, now they're doing the wow thing. I was like, I think they are doing their own thing. And I think Legends of Ruterra, what I really appreciate about it is like right off the bat, it's been mostly single player campaign stuff, which is what I liked about Hearthstone, what you could do in Hearthstone with the campaigns. And um, when you enter into Legends of Runeterra, it gives you the tutorial, but then it, it boots you right into the campaign where you're playing as Jinx and you're moving through um, this like grid or like this path system as you're doing battle to battle and you're unlocking stuff and you're unlocking power-ups, more cards and whatnot. And I know it's like just, it's onboarding, it's getting you used to the, the card system, but like I'll be content if I just never play a live game because that game you can pause as you're doing the the campaign stuff. And it's been a lot of fun and it has its own sort of feel to it, similar to Hearthstone where it has like, you know, uh, the animations as the cards move around and stuff. I really think that uh, Legends of Runeterra like takes that concept and, and does a bit more with it. You know, the cards don't feel as static because it isn't just the card being laid down in this like little oval thing. The card is being laid down in like, it's it's a rectangle this time, but like the animation of bringing, bringing those cards in and you can upgrade cards. I really like this idea that hero cards, so in this case, Jinx, if you do specific things, you will level her up and she will like, that card will be powered up um, throughout the rest of that match. And I think for her, it's like, exhaust all your cards in your hand which sounds easy enough but it's the way the system the way the systems work in the game you can kind of only prep one card at a time um so to get your 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 hand empty can sometimes be difficult if you're not um if you don't have like a lot of discard cards basically so when you hit that like milestone of like okay you've cleared your hand and now jinx is is going to be upgraded with new powers there's this like animation on 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 screen of like her like doing graffiti across the whole map and like, you know, the cards like flipping around and it's like, it's powering up and stuff. It's, it's really cool. And I think like the main thing I can say here is that Legends of Runeterra is on PC as well. So you can kind of play on PC. It's cross platform on iOS and Android. And that game is worth checking out in the sense that if you want right off the bat, you don't have to do PVP. You can just do the campaign and it really feels like you're getting a great experience from that. So other than that, I haven't played a whole lot, but I've, I've really enjoyed just having like, oh, I don't have to play against other players. I can just do the campaign. And it's been a lot of fun. It feels like you're puzzle solving as you go forward. And it's the, the, the battles are getting more and more complex. So yeah, I've, I'm enjoying my riot games, you know, exploration. I think maybe next year I might look at ruin King. Cause I really am interested in that that game and that and that story because i like the art style I like the gameplay so um i was just gonna say about um legend of terrors i've never played it myself but i do have a friend that used to stream it a lot so i watched her play it a lot and mm-hmm. 
I never really understood much of anything about the game. I wasn't following that closely. But I agree that like the hero animations when they get played are really, really cool. And also, from what she said, it's very free-to-play friendly, like more so than Hearthstone is. Mm-hmm. Hearthstone can be kind of difficult to get more than like basic decks going at the beginning. But it, Legend of Terror is known for generally being very friendly in that fashion. And I'll, I felt like the games tended to be pretty consistently fast. Like Hearthstone usually doesn't take that long, but there are certainly some decks like, you know, these drawn-out control decks, Freeze Mage is obviously a famous one for that, that could really, like, drag things out to, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes for a match, which doesn't, at least so far, back when she was playing, didn't really seem to be the case with Runeterra, which is nice, especially for mobile users, because it, it does suck if you think you're going in, okay, I have 10 minutes, I'll be able to get a match, no problem, but then you play, you know, this horrible control, against this horrible control deck, and things get just drawn out forever. It's like, well, no, that sucks. <laughs> Guess I'm late for whatever the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, and it, and that's the thing I think about the the campaign so far is like you can pause it, but the matches do feel they feel like they move at a steady clip. And I think like there are phases to when you're playing. There's like a defensive phase, a prep phase, and an attack phase, and the attack and defensive just kind of flip back and forth. But like you can set up the game, and this is on by default, where it will pass the turn. If there's nothing you can do, it'll auto pass. Um, And there are those scenarios that pop up. And I mean, it's just, it keeps things moving. And um, I've really appreciated the pace of the games. And you are right. Like there's no blind box sort of card collecting. You can earn every card. You can, you know, um, when I say purchase every card, like you can buy them with the in-game currency. I, I don't know where they sort of they monetize it. I'm, I'm guessing it's maybe cosmetics of some kind. I don't know what those cosmetics are. I've, I've literally, when I'm playing it, like I was really impressed with it as a free to play game. When I play it, it, it puts me right into the campaign and maybe that campaign is just an expanded tutorial. I don't know, but like, I've not seen like the typical sort of splash screen of like a free to play game of like, here's all the hundreds of modes you can do and the hundreds of currency. Like I know you, there is like a card shop that you can go in and build, every card whatever you want you don't have to like i know hearthstone has like the dust system but you you, you're not buying packs you're you're not it's not pay to win it's more i think all of riot stuff is either you buy the full game like their newer games like ruin ruin king and such or it's cosmetic based um like league of legends so it's it's a lot of fun i uh in League proper, they do still sell heroes on an individual basis. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure about Wild Rift. I was kind of browsing the page about it, and it seems like it's mostly focused on cosmetic kind of stuff for um, for monetization. I don't know if it's possible to directly buy heroes or not. Hopefully not, because I'm hoping they're going to a more, a more friendly thing. I never liked that with League and heroes, where there's essentially no option to just buy everybody, like... I mean, Dota gives them all away for free. Smite has the Ultimate God Pack, where 30 bucks or even less on sale, you get everything forever, which I think is just a much more friendly friendly model, especially for games where, you know, the cosmetics, like the skins and stuff, that's where you're making all your money anyway. It's like, why are you doing these kind of frustrating mechanics that make people feel like they need to spend a lot of money just to be able to actually, like, play the game properly versus, you know, just make all these things that look cool and let people buy them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think cosmetics is where it's at because it allows you, I know it's, um, I don't know if, like, I know it's a lot of work to develop unique looking cosmetics for every single hero to like sort of meet that, the individual needs of, of people who, who have specific heroes they like. It's a lot of work. But like, I think at the end of the day, it provides the player base with a, like an unobtrusive way to support the game that doesn't feel like you're, you're pay to win. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying my Riot uh, Games sort of uh, exploration here. I'm going to play more of both Wild Rift and Runeterra. I really enjoyed both experiences. But uh, before we jump into the news, I'm, I want to know more about Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, because I feel like this is a game that um, the Discord, the community encouraged me to play, and I was happy to oblige uh, when it came out. I think it was free, or it was like five bucks. I no, can't. It was free. It was free. Okay. And it was one of those, like, I don't know if I want to call it like experimental games, but it was one of those games that had like, um, I don't know, it was like different. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the best way to d- describe it. It's like, it it presents itself as one thing, but it's very much like another. I don't know if it was like a satire of like the genre of visual novel. I, I'm not sure, to be honest, but it is an experience. That is that is most certain. Probably not a satire exactly. It's just it is using that the the um, visual novel dating sim as a medium to tell a very yeah like you said a very different story than what you might expect. And that's part of the the impact of it is this weird like cognitive dissonance of I'm just playing this cutesy anime visual novel and then it's just absolutely freaking horrifying <laughs> and makes me want to just kind of curl up in a ball. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and like, uh, fast forward a few years, and they've released this, um, what is also a physical edition. So I think they did that specifically for Whirlwind. Um, but there's this, <laughs> you know, plus version, which is a paid version, you can get it digitally, you can get it physical as well. And um, I, I'm honestly not sure what it adds. So I'm curious, like, like, right off the bat, if you played the free version, which I'm sure is still available, um, can't like, is there enough added in this plus version to warrant like revisiting the game? I would say so. It's not a ton of new, like real content things that basically the, the main game that you played the first time back when you played it, that is the same. They've done, I think some like upgraded visuals and stuff like that, but the story itself, um, the dialogue, all that kind of stuff, that's the same as it was. The main thing they've done. Well, for one thing, that's different is the original was PC only, which it kind of needed to be due to um, a very specific game mechanic that involved actually manipulating files on your computer, <laughs> which is obviously not possible to do on a console because you don't have that sort of you know, directory access. But this do- kind of gets around it by essentially like launching you into this operating system where it has a few different options like you know a music player, um, a list of the files in the game couple other things and then of course the you can actually like boot up the main game and play it which you know just essentially boosts you into the original experience but that does like you know it's a cheat to get around the fact that on console you won't be able to manipulate files like you need to for the essentially to to conclude the game but what the main thing it adds besides i mean there's also like various like kind of collectible things like hidden poems and stuff like that but the main thing it adds, what really is the reason that I put it on the list, is the side stories, 
which are I had no idea what they were going in. I didn't know if they were going to be like an added thing that like inserts itself into the main game or like sort of like new side adventures kind of thing. But what they actually turned out to be, to my very great surprise, is a series of incredibly wholesome stories with absolutely nothing like horrifying going on or psychologically destructive going on at all. It is sort of like an alternate universe kind of thing where the protagonist of the original game never shows up. And it tells you the story of the four different girls in the literature club and how Monica originally founded the club. And then each member you know, showed up in turn. And it's basically about them, you know, these four strangers, you know, four high school girls, but they're all, you know, very different personalities, with different interests coming together, um, essentially coming to understand each other, like, navigate each other's feelings and how they each like what they each want from from being in the club or from friendships and it's all just extremely good like to the point where i kind of wish that they would just make a real like visual novel or a dating sim kind of thing that's not all like you know a psychological horror game in disguise because these are just these really wonderful stories of friendship and understanding and people working to like navigate around difficulties that their you know friends or acquaintances are going through and you know essentially like being better people better friends and i just i just absolutely love them all they're so good they're so well written and interesting and just like i said wholesome and it was completely unexpected considering what the main game is and i just really really love them and i really recommend if people do enjoy like character interaction kind of things and that's you know these sort of stories sound interesting that i think it's very well worth picking up the game just you know just to um go through these though unfortunately you don't have the option of just going through them on their own you have to unlock them by playing through different routes of the main game which essentially just you know like writing poems for each of the different girls. I think it probably takes three, well, two full playthroughs and a part of a third, or probably just like save scumming would work as well to unlock them all. So I guess you could probably just play through the first, the first act of the game like three times without going into the actually like horror parts if you wanted to, but I think it's very well worth it. Um, I really, really love them and, uh, to my surprise, it's probably going to end up on my top 10 list for this year because I just, I just can't say enough about how much I enjoy those little stories and how incredibly well done they were. Yeah. So the side stories aren't trying to murder you then is what you're saying. They are not. They are just about people being nice to each other. And, you know, it's I mean, it has some of the same themes of the main game of like mental illness and stuff like that. Or just, you know, you know just sort of like you know, social awkwardness, difficulties, that kind of stuff. But instead of it turning into this, you know, like, you know, um, you know oh, you know, like just becoming a horror game and just really screwing with your head and making you feel depressed, it actually makes you feel really uplifted and positive because these girls are just you know, being super nice to each other and becoming friends. And it's really wonderful. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I did see on uh, Steam, it's like a $20 canadian like i think it's like 1750 canadian so that's not too bad like in terms of like yeah. i know they've 
they say they've added, uh, they've done quite a bit of work to, um, you know, update the visuals to um, at least HD, like 1080p. So I believe the first game was like a windowed experience or maybe like not. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like if, if you wanted to play it full screen, you were you were forcing the game to do something it was it was not crafted to uh, display. So like it, it sounds like they've done a lot of work to take it from a free sort of experimental experience. And I mean, the point you made about how they have to address sort of the file manipulation stuff on the P I had not even thought about that, like bring it to the console. They would have had to craft, like you said, like a whole new system to replace what was essentially, you know, uh, editing files. I did like that aspect of it. It was really cool and was different, uh, a little scary, but also really cool that, uh, <laughs> that they could do something like that. So uh, one thing that's kind of funny though, is the, the operating system that boots up, it says it's like, I think metaverse enterprise solutions, <laughs> which is just really funny now with that whole Facebook thing that though they're calling themselves meta and talking about this whole metaverse. And I'm just thinking of the original Doki Doki literature club and, you know, like Monica's crazy bullshit and all that. And I'm like, yeah, this seems pretty appropriate for Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, a, that sounds like a good, uh, a good addition. Um, I, I might have to check this one out. I think I'll definitely add it to my wish list on Steam and, and maybe wait for a sale. Yeah, it'll go on sale, I'm sure. Yeah, because it's not like it's a real long game. The original is a few hours at most, and these side stories are maybe like an hour total. So it's certainly not like a ton of content for the money, but because I do enjoy it so much and thought so highly of the original game, it was worth it for me to... I actually bought the physical collector's edition. Oh, cool. So it was like 30 bucks, but it was worth it to me. Yeah, that's still a good buy. I mean, it is like one of those unique experiences that they're not going to make like another collector's edition. I think if you're if you really enjoy that game and you want to throw a little extra cash at the developer and get some extra, you know, um, cool physical items like I that's how I treat collector's editions. Like I see it as a way to get a little bit more and, you know, uh, support the developers a little bit more. Like I, I think um you know, with the Metroid franchise, I always try to like buy a collector's edition because I'm like, okay, Nintendo, just make more Metroid games, please. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, I still need to, I still need to crack open that Metroid Dread art book now that I've finished the game. But um, I digress. Uh, let's uh, before we move into the news, let's. I want to thank all of our patrons, Patreon.com/slash/TheGamersIn. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. We are looking for our featured December patrons. So if you want to get a shout out. Uh, this month and well into January as well. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash the gamers in. And speaking of Patreon, I do a mini, I, it's, it started as a mini, like it's supposed to be like a little preview of what we talk about on the gamers in. And, um, it's kind of turned into, uh, well, right now it's tales of Arise. It's t turned into the tales of Arise podcast. Um, but is the TGI Patreon mini, I was reminded, I was kind of like, on the mini talking about like when, how long have i been doing this and uh we just passed the four-year mark so i've been doing the patreon mini for four years it's crazy to think about and um lately the addition has been like a, a we call it the update corner where i play a game each week and or the same game each week and kind of update my progress in like a game club fashion and right now we're doing tales of arise and uh it's been a lot of fun so if you're a patron um, you get that uh, early access as well as you get it on the Patreon audio RSS feed. And um, I'm going to be shifting up the schedule a little bit. So patrons will get early access on, I think I'm aiming towards Fridays 
And then uh, non-patrons can go to the Patreon site and listen to it on Mondays. So it'll be more of a preview, because I think the way I was doing it before, it was like, you were getting early access on Monday, we would record Tuesday, and uh, those who were uh, those who are, weren't patrons were getting it like the day the actual Gamers in episode launched. So um going to make a try something new, switch it up a little bit. And uh, also Extra Life, we're doing Extra Life. We are, we, our campaign ends December 31st. You can go to bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2021. We have one uh, big uh, campaign event coming up, which is going to uh, conclude our campaign, which is the holiday stream. That's happening on December 17th. Uh, that's a Friday uh, in the evening. So starting around 8.30, 8 o'clock Eastern, uh, and we'll have more details on what we're playing, but it's usually holiday themed games that have holiday themes to them. I know Dead by Daylight's doing a huge push for holiday stuff, so that'll be on the list and um, possibly more. So stay tuned. Just any game where you can murder Santa. Uh, basically, yeah. I think Killing Floor 2 is one that we played in the past. I don't, it hasn't really made it back into the rotation, but um, any game that has like, as long as there's a Santa hat in there it counts. So I think <laughs> Sea of Thieves was a game we didn't get a chance to play a lot of uh, in our main Extra Life event. Uh, I know that there's some Santa hats in there. Um, but yeah. So I mean, if anyone has suggestions or wants to join us, certainly let us know. We're always open to suggestions. But yeah, you're right. If killing Santa, dressing as Santa, um, being Santa, I think there are less options on that front, but like I'd still count it. But those are the three rules. You know, dressing as Santa, killing killing who kill where do you kill can you kill santa in dead by daylight yeah probably not no they should do that they should get a a santa skin for one of the killers that'd be pretty funny i mean i haven't actually looked at i think the i follow them on twitter and they're going they're they're leaning into one of the heroes that is like dressed as an elf uh that's that's all i've got if jocelyn were here (laughs) she she would certainly chime in i'm sure one of the killers has like a like a santa i can kind of picture it now like probably has this the scraggly beard and the the torn hat and i'm sure it exists i'm sure it does yeah, they should do a, a crossover event with futurama and have the evil robot santa that goes around and kills everybody oh yeah that would be good i mean uh, yeah all right let's let's i'm gonna edit this out i'm gonna we're gonna make our own game and it's just gonna be <laughs> <laughs> killer robot santa um let's move into the news we're gonna talk about uh activision blizzard update there honestly um because we didn't, I should have mentioned this at the top of the show. We didn't have an episode last week. I apologize for that. So there is like a buildup of two weeks of of Activision Blizzard stuff. But most of this happened this week. Um, we're not going to go into crazy details uh, on all of it, but I think there are a few points here worth discussing. So first off, uh, the protest organizer for a lot of the movement uh, at Activision Blizzard. Um, has left is leaving the company. I believe her last day is actually on Friday. Uh, this is Jessica Gonzalez and she's leaving blizzard. Um, she is, I don't know if she's the sole organizer, but um, she's part of a team that was organizing a lot of the protests and she's been very vocal about the issues at blizzard and, and bringing attention, um, to the stories and, and to the behavior that is ongoing at that company that is, that is inappropriate and, and, and really needs to stop. Uh, and, and just a lot of the, the lack of, uh, uh, change coming from leadership. Like it's just, it's been, she's bringing a lot of attention to the tone deafness of 
and we're going to talk about some of that, uh, which has actually happened uh, this week. But like, yeah, she's she's leaving the company. She's um, cited she had another opportunity to come up as well as just doing it for her own well-being and mental health. Because, again, like it really doesn't seem like Activision Blizzard is interested in changing. Uh, and I think they are going to try to drag this out as long as possible, no matter how much damage is done to their to their public uh, sort of persona so like um that is that's one piece of news but i think that uh something that happened this week was game awards related and there was an article in kotaku which has since been updated but there was a, a kotaku article that was kind of pulling from a washington post article where uh, they had asked jeff Keeley about the activision blizzard scenario situation and how that connects to the game awards and Keeley basically, the quotes in the article were basically like, yeah, we, you know, we have to walk a fine line. We have to, uh, you know, we want to support developers. We, we support people sharing their stories. But really, the Game Awards is about the developers, the games, and celebrating gaming. And rightfully so, uh, a, like a lot of people, a majority of people said like, hey, that's not okay. Like you have a platform. You need to call this stuff out like everybody else has, like Nintendo, like Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox, they've all come out stating that this, this behavior, these um, allegations, like the way they're running Activision Blizzard is just, it's not okay, and it needs to change. And um, I think it took maybe six to eight hours, but Keeley did put out like in the middle of the night, like kind of a, like a, a tweet thread um, in, in uh, response to the article. Uh, and I mean, it, it, um, I think it, it didn't, it didn't outright, you know, condemn Activision Blizzard and the problems that are happening there and the lack of fixes that have been happening and the evidence that's just piled up, uh, you know, on that company to, to showcase that they're not taking it seriously. But like, he basically said, like, first of all, Activision Blizzard has, is, is not participating in the game awards outside of the nominations. Um, he did not state whether that was a choice from Activision Blizzard or whether he basically said, yeah, guys, like you're not showcasing like, I guess usually the Call of Duty game that had come out that year would have some like their season two announcement for whatever multiplayer is going on. But they're that's not happening. Um, but he did go on to say in his Twitter thread, it was basically like, you know, he's condemning like this behavior. It has no place in the industry. I definitely do not support that. But he stopped short of basically condemning Activism Blizzard itself. Like, he did not say that stuff. He condemned the behavior. It should not be present in the industry. Um, but yeah, he did. He stopped short of basically stating, like, Activision Blizzard is doing a terrible job at fixing this. So, like, I don't know how... I don't know how that helps, you know? Yeah, I actually just... I wrote in the notes next to that article, just I said, weak-ass statement. Because that's what it felt like to me. I understand and can basically agree with the idea that making a very specific statement, like bringing up the situation during the Game of Wars, is not ideal. That's kind of difficult to fit in. And then you kind of, if you kind of open the door to something like that, then it becomes does like every single like publisher or developer scandal that happens around the Game of Wars need to be addressed? Should they be talking about Crunch at the Game Awards? Um, should they talk about Ubisoft's issues or the complaint that 
Sony had recently or Microsoft's complaints in the past. That's kind of a weird thing for him to get into. But Jeff Keighley does have a very large platform entirely of his own, and I really dislike the fact that he didn't actually call out Activision Blizzard directly for this. He condemned, you know, sexual harassment stuff in the industry, but obviously this is a very big story, and it's obviously very important that as many people put pressure on Activision Blizzard as possible, because they are trying to ride this out. They're trying to let it blow over without having to make any major concessions to employees, not without having to outright fire Bobby Kotick. And the more big industry figures make public statements against them, the better. And he had an opportunity to do so and refused to do so, probably because he doesn't want to hurt his future relationship with Activision Blizzard, which, I mean, okay, I understand it from, to some degree, but at some point you need to make a stand. And I'll admit I'm not really the biggest Jeff Keighley fan to begin with. He just come, he bothers me kind of as someone who's, yes, he's doing all this good stuff, essentially creating a, an award show when there wasn't like a really like big public one beforehand. He does, he's done this stuff this last two years in the op- absence of a in-person E3 to give, um, to give developers a place to show their games. But it just all comes across to me as a little too, mi- too much like, hey, look at all this cool stuff that I am doing rather than, hey, look at all this cool stuff. And I just happen to be the one behind the scenes doing it. And I feel this, that kind of affects the way he's handling his Activision Blizzard thing because, because it is about, him and his shows and the things that he wants to do in the future, he's not willing to risk that, to, to risk pissing off a major publisher like this, even though, you know, by any sort of moral sense, he should. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I think he deserves to be, you know, be criticized for this. Yeah. I mean, and he has uh, been criticized, and I think a lot of people are, I think there's a, a couple of examples that come up. One, he was like, oh, who's, Who's hyped for, what are you hyped to see on Thursday? And someone said like, uh, you know, um, calling out Activision Blizzard on, you know, all these harassment uh, and issues and, and sexual harassment and, you know, discrimination and all that, all that stuff that's, that's been coming to light. And uh, another note was like a lot of, like when this first broke, a lot of people were rightfully so pointing to the example of like, Jeff Keighley actually did use the Game Awards as a platform to address an issue in video game development with a specific studio. And it was essentially looking at Kojima and the way Konami was treating him uh, when Metal Gear Solid five had released. And it was like a 15 minute segment, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's funny. I didn't realize what you were specifically talking about there, but as soon as you said about like what he's willing to spend time at the game wars, my immediate thought was, well, he's always perfectly willing to spend time um, showing off literally anything Kojima wants to do and letting everybody know that he and Kojima are these like really good buddies. Yeah. That and uh, the giant um, shaving mascot that they had the one year, which was very embarrassing. I didn't see that. And I think I'm probably glad I didn't. Yeah. You're, you're, you're good. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, he, he does, you know, Jeff Keighley does say like, this is about the developers. This is about celebrating, you know, video games and the work that goes into making video games and I mean, it's an in-person show. You're going to have people coming in and accepting uh, awards. I, uh, I, I will be interested to see if, if um, 
developers mention this specific, you know, issue uh, in in their acceptance speech or uh, it, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I think it is certainly like something that affects not only just the industry, but like a lot of industries um, ac- across, you know, well, just a lot of industries. And like, I think that I, I think that you could see, you know, people mentioning it. Like if, you know, as you said earlier, like, you know, to the best way to see change with Activision Blizzard and any other company that are having these specific, you know, issues is to just keep talking about it, keep it, you know, keep shining a light on it. Because again, you're right. Activision Blizzard is trying to ride this thing out and they're doing a very bad job at it. And the, and, you know, folks are keeping the story in the news. I mean, we have one other story here for Activision Blizzard, and it's the fact that um, there's been uh, layoffs at the QA team for Call of Duty at Raven Studios. Um, and essentially what's happened is they've been promised time and time again for, you know, to be upgraded to full-time employment, benefits, pay raises, like more equal pay. And they uh, strung them along for months. And um, they actually in lieu of that, let 20 people go, um, unceremoniously, just like gave them their papers and, and, and they had to walk. And it's, um, unfortunately something that happens a lot in the industry. You have a lot of contract workers and they will be let go at a moment's notice, especially if there isn't a lot of like work to go around. Uh, and QA is one of those, um, departments that takes you know the brunt of that force, right? Even though it is a critical department, I mean, without QA, I mean, you, I mean, Skyrim wouldn't launch, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, looking at this story, it's like they laid off they laid off 20 people, and, and uh, rightfully so. A lot of the employees were very upset. They've staged walk, walkouts uh, across QA departments at Activision Blizzard. It's been ongoing, at least now, for three days. And the story that came out quickly after the announcement like uh, that they had laid off some of these 20-odd people... Um, was that, hey, actually, we're converting 500 positions to full-time. We're actually going to follow through on that promise of what we've been saying over and over again to our to our staff that we're going we're gonna to make these upgrades. But essentially, like, they've, they've said, like, oh, no, but we are converting 500 positions over to full-time permanent. But these, these layoffs are still standing. It's almost like, no, look over here at this, you know, positive thing. Don't look over here where we've let 20 people go before we do the, the 500 permanent positions. And it has caused um, this uproar within the QA, you know, community uh, at Activision Blizzard where there has been these walk-offs, not just at Raven, but at Treyarch. I think uh, Blizzard itself, their, you know, uh, QA team had supported the walkout and, and had, had joined them in protest. And... It's just, it's just, it does, like, I can't, it's like similar to the last time we talked about this. It's stories like this where it's like, if you're going to convert 500 positions, convert 520 positions. Don't, like, you are in a position where you, you cannot, you, you cannot make these, mis- you cannot keep making these mistakes. Because, of course, it's going to lead to these conversations. Like, if you're looking at the scenario and be like, okay, how, how can we make this a good news story? I know let's not fire anybody. Let's actually just convert all the positions over like we had planned. It just seems odd to me. Like they wouldn't see this going poorly, you know, in the public eye, right? Or or even in, in their company, uh, within the company as well. I don't know, for a few months now, there's been a lot of things we look at and think, shouldn't they have seen this coming? <laughs> <laughs> but 
with this specifically, yeah, it's like, I mean, okay, yeah, it's good they're converting 500 contract positions full-time, but that's basically them just doing what they should be doing as an extraordinarily profitable and successful company that has a very large player base to service. They should be, they obviously need these people. And especially what really stinks about the specific thing with Raven software QA testers is that Raven has become basically like the public face of Call of Duty Warzone, the battle royale game they have, which has reported to be making something like four to five million dollars per day. So even like 20 people being paid, and they're not even being paid that much. It's like, I think it was $17 per hour was the previous salary for these people, which is, what is that, like 30-something? Let's in the 30,000s per year in salary. So that's what, like 600K, 700K? So less than 20% of what they make in a single day to keep these people on. And it's not like Call of Duty Warzone is suddenly become less popular and needs less... QA testing or any other position that could have moved these people into. Because, hmm. I mean, layoffs will happen in businesses. Sometimes, you know, they just, you know, things aren't going well or, you know, they're shifting priorities away from one game to another. But this is not the case here. Hmm. These are people that were working on the biggest and most popular thing that Activision has going right now, as far as I know, which is Warzone. It is extraordinarily profitable. So why the hell are you doing this? What was the point outside of being, you know, just more of these like really harsh cost-cutting measures that Bobby Kotick is famous for, which is why he gets these massive bonuses voted him by the board and the shareholders all the time because he's saving them money in the short term, even though long term, their games are probably worse for not having these talented people on board. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, even looking at Call of Duty Warzone as a live service game, like you'd think you'd want a lot of QA on staff so that you can constantly be feeding that game with new content and constantly be testing it to make sure there are no bugs. Cause it is a, not only a game that, as you said, is bringing a lot of money, but it's a competitive game and you need to make sure that it, that it's, it's working in a way that is fair for all players. Um, yeah, have at worst, have these people, 20 people go to work on figuring out how to deal with cheaters, which are apparently a rampant problem in that game. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, you're absolutely right. Like converting 500 contract employees to permanent shouldn't be like uh, this moment of it, it shouldn't. It, it's obviously a pat on the back for Activision Blizzard because they they are it, they're finally doing something good uh, for their employees. But like, I think that it's it just should be the norm. Like these should be full time positions. I know it is much more difficult to you know lay off a full time position as opposed to a contract position i get that um and you're right there are going to be layoffs um that is inevitable in in scenarios where you you know you have a finite amount of work and sometimes it's busier sometimes it's not but like from a qa standpoint there should be like enough qa positions across activision blizzard that you could if you had less it's just you know, and maybe there would have been more than 20 layoffs. I, I know, like, as soon as the layoffs started, um, because they, I guess there had been sort of, like, uh, employees were getting invited to meetings, and those meetings were essentially like, yeah, we're letting you go. And it was kind of done sporadically. So, like, the walkout started once the pattern was noticed and, and people were being let go, you know, unceremoniously. And, like, 
maybe there would have been more than 20. Maybe they stopped the layoffs because the narrative was heading, heading, you know, they were, it was getting out of hand in terms of activism Blizzard could no longer control it like in a positive light. So like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I know that the, the employees that have walked out are basically saying like, we're not coming back to work until you rehire those 20 people and offer them full-time employment. And I mean, that shows not only like a collective effort to, um, stand up to Activision Blizzard and their practices, but it, it, but it almost kind of shines a light on like how comical, how comically evil it is that Activision Blizzard isn't just like, is like getting rid of these 20 positions. Like, like, as you said, like they could pay for it a salary, um, in a day of, of this game running and, and the game is better for it because you have more QA workers, which is a, is a critical part of game development. It's just, it's mind boggling. If for whatever reason they don't actually need this many people in QA, like it's oversaturated or whatever, this is Activision Blizzard, just one of the largest game companies in the world. They have to have other positions they could at least offer them. Maybe it won't work because of location or they don't want to do this new job or whatever, but there's just simply just no way that Activision Blizzard can't have positions to offer something to 20 people who've been working on their game for a while. That are, according to the articles, at least in what's coming out, these people are all in good standing. They weren't problem employees or people that were, you know, getting disciplined and were kind of like, you know, on the way out anyway. These are all quality employees. And, you know, there's got to be, there's always something they could use them for. At least give them a shot at it. Yeah. It, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 once again, I'm just looking at the news that's coming out and I'm just like, uh, this was, uh, and and even if they like, it's almost like them announcing no, but we are converting five hundred. It's like no, no, no. Like you should have just done the whole thing. Like why? This just makes you sound worse, <laughs> you know. Um, it's it's wild. And I mean, there was I didn't include it in the notes, but I mean, there was other notes of uh, there was a press conference in front of the Blizzard, uh, you know, Irvine Studios, uh, where another lawsuit has been brought forward by. Uh, I think an employee, not former, but employee, um, you know, bringing more light to uh, the sexual harassment and the um, discrimination that's been happening at Activision Blizzard and and um, and kind of just calling for uh, more action from the company to address these concerns. And that, I think, happened earlier today. So it's um, it's not it's not going away as much as Activision Blizzard wants it to. It is. It is continuing, and I and I think that uh, um, obviously we'll we'll continue to talk about it here as as stories come up. Yep, as we were talking before the show started, that you know obviously it sucks to have to talk about all this stuff all the time. This is the first time we've ever had to actually talk about it somewhere besides like Twitter, or Discord, and I'm already sick of it. I know Joss is thoroughly sick of it coming up every week, but if people don't keep talking about it, then. Activision Blizzard is getting what they want because they want people to get sick of this and just move on to something else. So we people have to keep talking about it or else the pressure is off and then they can just go back to being, you know, shitty, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, these are... A lot of our articles are coming from Kotaku, but, like, IGN, Polygon, Eurogamer, they're all covering the story. Like, it's not... It's... It is still hitting, it's hitting all the major gaming outlets, but I think it is also, you know, 
it is being discussed in major news outlets as well still like it's the the stories are still getting out there and um i mean i just i i don't even know what activision blizzard's like plan is like there hasn't been anything on that end like communicating plan is to continue making massive amounts of money <laughs> yeah i mean that's been their plan for for a while um you know let's let's move into another story before we close out the show uh and and I mean this could lead to a to an interesting conversation, but we'll we'll try to keep it keep it brief because it is still a rumor. It has not been announced, but PlayStation is reportedly working on an Xbox Game Pass competitor. And essentially, what it boils down to is that PlayStation now is going to be phased out in favor of this new service that is going to offer. It's going to use the PlayStation Plus sort of moniker, which has been popular, and create a tiered system similar to what Xbox has with xbox game pass xbox uh gold and then xbox game pass ultimate which kind of bundles everything and um but i mean i think when you talk about a game pass uh competitor and you look at what playstation is doing according to this report is you have playstation plus which is what's offered now then you'll have a higher tier that is basically a combination of playstation plus and playstation now and playstation now is sort of like a trim down version of game pass where it does offer games you can download and stuff does come there but it is more of like a it's not quite as large an offering but it is there and the third tier would throw in like the highest tier would throw in like uh, backwards compatibility stuff like ps1 ps2 and ps3 experiences Uh, whether those are native or not i'm pretty sure those are included in playstation now as well I think at least PS3 games are. But... PS3 games are the only PS2 games are ones that were that essentially had like versions made for um, PS3 or PS4. Okay, and I don't think there's anything that's like PS1 or PSP that's on there. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. The highest tier would include PS1, PS2, PS3, and PSP, which I think is a big deal, especially from the PSP, and I'm assuming eventually the PS Vita. Uh, as platforms of like not a lot of people played those games and and there are probably games there that they that would be worth checking out um but it's uh it's important to note that like nowhere in the articles that have come out is is it saying that you're going to get um day and date like you're not going to be able to play god of war ragnarok on the playstation plus game pass or spartacus or whatever they call it it that that is not probably something that they are going to offer now that being said they do say that the middle tier, like the the combination of PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, would offer PS4 and PS5 experiences. So looking at the experiment as uh, of um, the PlayStation Plus collection, which was a collection of uh, hit PS4 games offered exclusively to PS Plus subscribers on PlayStation 5, taking that approach and maybe bringing that into the PlayStation plus uh, second tier offering. Like I think it's very important that Sony and play or PlayStation does something to at least address the game pass in the room. Um, I don't think they're ever going to like relent and be like, okay, fine. We'll put horizon day and date uh, on game or on PlayStation plus plus or whatever they call it. Um, But 
I think it takes them in a step. Uh, it, it at least shows them addressing Game Pass because I I don't think PlayStation needs to have their their single player games day and date. Like they can sell those for ninety dollars, and they have been. You know, uh, they have no problem with that. I don't think they're going to suddenly turn around and be like, "No, you can get this as part of Spartacus or whatever." I I think they are going to continue to keep those experiences exclusive at the $90 Canadian price tag, I should say. Um, but yeah, I guess it's going to be launching. We'll get details in the spring uh, and could be launching shortly after. But like, how do you, how do you see this going? You have a PlayStation five. Like, are you interested in a game pass like subscription from them? Um, I mean, if it was like an actual game pass, like subscription, then yeah, I've been subscribed to PlayStation now a couple of times, very briefly to try stuff out, but never like anything I've spent a lot of time on. But I think these articles calling it a Game Pass competitor are either making a lot of assumptions or being outright misleading for clicks. Mm-hmm. Because what this is really looks a whole lot to me like just combining PlayStation Plus and Now into one service, which makes more sense instead of having you know, these two separately branded services, and then just having this tiered system where essentially it's exactly the same as before, except now you have this additional tier where it's basically just expanded, PlayStation Now expanded. Or you could even call it like um, PlayStation Now Expansion Pass, because it's basically the same thing that the Switch is doing with the N64 and Genesis games, mm-hmm. locking them behind a higher price tier for the, these you know different retro experiences because as you said nowhere in these articles does it say that they're actually going to have day and date and it's hasn't even been that long since some higher up at playstation said that they don't think that's a viable business model for them yeah now i do think that there will come a day when microsoft and sony have mostly the same business model but i don't think it's coming anytime soon i was listening to a couple other people talk about this earlier in the week and one of them was saying that they think that within the next year or so, PlayStation is going to start doing day and date on their subscription service because they have to. But I completely disagree with that. I don't think they have to. They are doing very well with their business model right well right now. And Xbox Game Pass, for all that we talk about it, and as much hype as it gets from people that have it and love it, and I think it's a really awesome service, consider that the highest number of subscribers they reported, which is the beginning of this year, was 18 million. And since they haven't said anything since, you can kind of assume that they didn't get a big new number or else they'd probably promote it just for your marketing purposes. And the total number of Xboxes sold from the last generation was, I think, like 59 million estimated because Microsoft never gave official numbers, which means that even without counting people like me that only play Game Pass stuff on PC, not even one-third of the people that own an Xbox console from the last generation are subscribed to Game Pass. So even though this is a really awesome service and has great benefits for people that want to get into it, it still is not coming remotely close to people to replacing people buying like full-price or you know sale-price copies of games to own. It is nowhere near the kind of numbers they would have. So until Xbox starts really showing that this is the dominant way for them to provide games to people for them to make their money and for developers to sell their games 
then I don't think there's really that much pressure on PlayStation to change. I think they're willing to change. We have seen them be, you know, they, they improved PlayStation now. They made it cheaper. They added, you know, bigger titles. They're big AAA titles, even if for only a short while. So I think they're willing to adapt when they need to, but they very clearly do not need to. And mm. I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that this Spartacus thing is going to actually resemble Game Pass because there's literally no reason for Sony to, for Sony to do that right now. Yeah, I and I like the idea of um, specifically with PlayStation Now, like they added The Last of Us Part Two, and it's a short window to play it. I think it's like five months. It, it'll be there until January third, twenty twenty two. It was added in October, and like I think the idea that yes, PlayStation needs to consolidate their like go with the proper the the best branding, and I think the breakdown of what they've offered here of basically saying. Um, you know, base tier is what you know and love. PlayStation Plus, you know, upgraded tier adds the Now service, which does have um games that uh, it's kind of getting into the Netflix, Disney Plus, um, Amazon Prime scenario where you kind of have like these uh, tiers of streaming services where um they kind of they all kind of like line up their contracts. So like Sony, I think, has a deal with Netflix, and then has like a backup deal with Disney plus where like two years exclusive outside of a certain window, it goes to Netflix. And then after that, it goes to Disney plus right to, to stay forever. And I think like you're going to see a similar function here and you, and you've already seen it where I think it was kind of the opposite. I think Avengers came to PlayStation now and then came to Xbox game pass. And you're going to see those deals start happening more and more where you're going to see, okay, something comes off game pass and then comes to now and vice versa. But I think like adding the the classic titles at the highest tier, I'm fine with that because I think like for me, I'm not as interested in the classic PlayStation, you know, titles. I'm fine with them putting that at the highest tier, but I hope that they offer flexibility, unlike Nintendo, which you have to opt in for a whole year at that expansion pass. Like I'd like to dip my toe in and like upgrade for a month to basically check it out. I don't want to commit for a year. And I have I have faith that PlayStation will offer those that flexibility unlike Nintendo which um when it comes to online they're they're pretty rigid. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the Nintendo thing, I feel the same way about it. I don't think the say people like look at it and say, "Oh, it's $50 per year. That's so expensive that or that you know, $50 that's so much money." But I think it's actually a very reasonable price in that it's two, you know, in US dollars, $2.50 more per month than the base service per month, which I think is a completely reasonable amount of money to charge for this, you know, this expanded N64 and Genesis library. But the real problem is, as you said, that you have to sign up for an entire year, which I wouldn't want to do that because I'm not going to play these games for an entire year. I'd, I'd rather pay $5 extra per, for one month or even like six or seven dollars extra for one month, and then just be done with it, rather than spending thirty dollars extra for the entire year, which I'm not going to make use of. Which is it's kind of a problem actually in general whenever whenever these services only have a yearly subscription, because you think people would really be as happy with a Netflix subscription, which I think the most common one in the U.S. is like fourteen dollars per month. If you told them that it was a hundred and sixty-eight dollars per year for Netflix, people would be like, "Holy crap, that's expensive." But when it's you know just this monthly fee they have to look at, they don't really think much of it. So while Nintendo's looks terribly expensive, it's really not 
if you're actually going to use it for that entire amount of time, which is a sticking point. If you're buying, so, so I, I I bought the expansion pass right off the bat. That shouldn't surprise anybody. I bought a very <laughs> expensive wireless N64 controller as well. Shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, but like, you have to have faith that, and you know that Nintendo, they, they did say like, we're adding new games monthly. I think Paper Mario comes out in a couple days. And you have to understand when you're subscribing to a service, it's not just here are your three things, go about your day with your 50 bucks a year they are constantly adding to it. And I think that's the scenario where you're right. Like the upfront cost is both like an up, uh, a cost thing, but also like a time commitment. Like, man, I'm already pre-purchasing for a year, but I did that with Game Pass and I have no problem. Like I, I, I'm basically subbed up until like 2024, just based on like the whole gold trick and upgrading and stuff. But um, it's, all, it's all about how much you're going to use it. Because like course. Game Pass is going to keep adding new things to it and while so it's worth it to be subbed because you're probably always could be able to get at least enough value out of it like even if there's a month or two along the way you don't play anything you're still doing enough the other months for it to be fine but with when all you're doing is just adding more retro games which you know we remember them fondly but a lot of them aren't actually that fun to play anymore compared to modern stuff yeah it sucks to think that oh yeah i have to be subbed for an entire year for this when I played all the Paper Mario and Mario Tennis I wanted in the first month, and I'm good. Because, like, the PlayStation one, if they do, like, Valkyria Chronicles 2 was PS o- PSP only. I don't have a PSP. If I'm going to buy a PSP, I could emulate it, I guess, but that's kind of a pain. If they put it on service and I can get it for a month, then, yeah, sure, I'll pay 10 bucks, whatever it is, for a month and play that, and or 15 bucks, play that, maybe play some other stuff on PlayStation now. You know, that's fine, but... If I have to to sub for six months or a year, then hell no, I'm not paying that. Yeah, I like the idea of having the PlayStation Plus base because it is cheaper to subscribe for a year on that. Like I've kind of done the math and it kind of works out. And I think like being able to be like, oh, there's a game on now I want to check out. I could see myself subscribing to now. I mean, I have a feeling PlayStation will be flexible in that regard. I think when it comes to Xbox, like you either you you subscribe at a certain level and you can upgrade for the month but then you can just set it to not auto renew and then you can kind of subscribe at the level you want once it cancels um so there are those those options there but like this has probably been a long time coming um i think that when you look at a lot like the 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 core service of xbox game pass it makes sense for playstation to have something on their end and they do have like a huge back uh catalog of games that came out on the PS4 and and some titles that have come out on the PS5 that could very well be at this stage added to a subscription service without alienating you know customers that purchased the game like i mean one that comes to mind is uh the Sackboy Adventure game like that seems like a really solid game you could add to a subscription service and get more people playing it and not necessarily you know, bug customers that have purchased it at full price or even on sale. Like I purchased it on sale and I would have no problem seeing it on a subscription service, you know, next year. Like that, that to me is perfectly acceptable in, in my yeah, mind. Most, most reasonable people aren't going to have any issue with that. No, there's some unreasonable people <laughs> out there. Like the ones that are horrified that stuff like horizon and God of war come into PC, but those are stupid people and we just ignore them. Yeah, we, we do. I I am all for more people experiencing PlayStation games on PC. And I 
and I'll say this, I really, really hope that PlayStation brings, you know, that, that not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be day and date, but essentially having it uh, be a little closer. Like, you know, I know Xbox has come out and condemned, not condemned, but basically thrown shade at the way PlayStation has operated their PC business. And I know PlayStation is trying, they're getting closer and closer, but like basically saying that their customers will have to buy it twice if they own both the PlayStation and the PC um, platforms. I, I think that uh, it makes more sense to bring those, those releases closer, but I know that there is a concern that having a PC day and date would cannibalize your, your, your console sales. But I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I think if you're buying a PC version of a PlayStation game, you either already have the PlayStation platform and they're getting your money either way, or you were never going to buy a PlayStation platform and you just have PC, you know, like I think Microsoft's approach to PC in the past five years has been a very healthy way of looking at it. You know, like it makes sense to put your games on PC. I know Nintendo will never do it, you know, cause they have their <laughs> own thing and they don't apply in this scenario. But um, man, the day that Nintendo starts like Nintendo can't put their won't put their games on PC because like they are very much like our games drive our hardware sales and that is how it's going to be. Um, although it would be really cool to see a Mario game like launch, even if it was like 10 years later, like we're going to release the Super Mario Sunshine on PC and see how it goes. Like that would be an interesting experiment that I would like to see, but uh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Sony get to within like one year gap between releases of console before porting PC. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I think it's probably going to settle in about maybe two years once they kind of get caught up and get their studios online. They, you know, they purchased a studio that's mainly going to be working on porting stuff to PC in the future. I think they're probably not going to go better than about two years for a while, but. One year would be nice. I think one to one and a half years is pretty reasonable because people don't like to wait. No. People will buy a PlayStation. Like 95% at least of the people that would care about this stuff would buy a PlayStation to play these games a year early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, we'll see what PlayStation ends up doing. Um you know, in the spring, obviously there's some huge announcements happening uh, that we won't be covering on this episode because the Game Awards has not aired yet, but there is going to be lots to talk about next week uh, when Jocelyn returns. So when we come back next week, we'll have the Game Awards and we'll talk about Arcane in full spoilery details. So if you have not caught up on Arcane on Netflix, go do so. It is a fantastic series. I it is so third, good. It is so good. Oh, man. It is. I'm, like, I'm not surprised that it's good. Because, you know, people make good shows all the time. But the fact that it is not just good, but absolutely exceptional yeah, is so surprising. It is, like, literally one of the best things available to watch on Netflix. Yeah. It is so good that a, you know, uh, an Imagine Dragons, not only song. I like Imagine Dragons. I don't know what that makes me in terms of a mu- music connoisseur. But I like I like that band and I like their music. Um, it just means you like listening to the same sounding song over and over. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm Canadian. <laughs> Nickelback is trained as well. Um, <laughs> I think that when you look at, you know, Arcane as an experience as being so, so good, it can't be ruined by, uh, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but like having that song play out within the show and having 
members of the band show up in in this in the sequence um and have you not hate the entire like series is it's really telling of the quality of the show and um i was talking to jocelyn about it like i don't play league of legends so it's hard to say like this is the best video game adaptation ever but like it's just it's so crazy that it stands on its own that it's like probably one of the best netflix shows that i've watched like from an animated standpoint like i really enjoyed it and it's just uh it's a really good uh I, I can't remember the word i the wording i used but it wasn't adaptation it was something else like it's so hard to call it a good adaptation when you haven't played the game but <laughs> it's it's just really good i don't know it's, uh yeah it's a good I mean, it's a good show based on a video game ip and I, I'm actually very comfortable calling it the best of its type that's ever come out because, I mean, well, obviously, there's not really competi- that much competition. Yeah. I think the main one is Castlevania or, I mean, there's always the caveat with The Witcher of it actually being based on the books, even though the show exists because of the video games. But and those are very good, but I think Arcane is very clearly a step above either of those. Yeah, that was essentially it in, in, our, in our conversation Jocelyn and I were having was essentially... Uh, be, it, it is the best video game related TV slash movie thing that I've ever seen, uh, hands down. And 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 you had basically summed it up perfectly in that like there's not a high bar there, but even Castlevania feels like it has that like video gameness to it. You know, um, doesn't make it like that bad. Like it doesn't make you know reduce the quality that much, but there it still has that video gameness feel to it. Arcane feels like if you hadn't if you just ha- happened to watch it you didn't need to know it was based on a video game like you wouldn't it just wouldn't matter like if you didn't know you would still enjoy it um yeah, if they just called it arcane didn't have the league of legends brand- branding on it then people would watch it they would never know that it was based on a video game if they weren't familiar with what league was at all a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah it's it's really good you everyone should go watch it prepare for next week we're going to talk about it and all the spoilery goodness um you should join our discord head over to the tgi discord bit.ly slash tgi discord uh jimmy's in there i'm in there lots of good folks are in there uh jocelyn's in there we're constantly talking about general chat i think was like it's been a whirlwind today and uh not just because whirlwind was in there talking about uh purchasing lumber um i think i woke up and i I finally checked discord and there was a lot of conversation about the price of of lumber which is very high these days um so that's that's one of the things you can expect in general chat so it's a lot of fun um email the show info at gamersinpodcast.com if you have thoughts on any of the stuff we talked about today uh and uh jimmy before we go is there anywhere on the internet that people can find you to to learn more about your um other top experiences of anime this year (laughs) yeah you can follow me on twitter at jimmy the shovel that's basically the only place on the internet i am and there you can see screenshots of games that i'm playing so i like to take screenshots of things that look cool or funny or think are funny and post them. And probably in about three weeks time, I will use that to post my top 10 favorite things I played this year, which spoiler vert is going to have a lot of JRPGs on it because that is what I spent most of my year playing is JRPGs. Yep. You're honest. That's commendable. I think that that's really cool that, uh, um, man, to have a whole genre to a year is uh, and, and not not that you set out to do it that way it just happened to work out that way and uh yeah i 
coming into this year, Trails of Cold Steel, I played the demo of Cold Steel 3 on Switch a bit last year and was like, okay, this is a cool-looking game with what seems like a very complicated battle system. I didn't think much about it. Then this year I started playing it, and yeah, it kind of just took over. Well, uh, definitely check out uh, Jimmy on Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow... Um, uh, if you want to... Sorry, if you want to... Uh, man outros visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com if you want to find more episodes and more links like our twitter links you can follow us on twitter as jimmy said you can follow him at jimmy the shovel uh, you can find jocelyn at joss plays and me at r murphy uh and don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in uh I, I i want to thank everybody for tuning in thank you for listening uh we really appreciate all of our listeners and everyone who joins us in discord on twitter and all that and um i know we're heading into the end of the year we'll have uh lots to chat about in terms of our favorite experiences uh game of the year celebrating 500 i've got some ideas uh and uh we are certainly rolling right towards episode 500 so stay tuned for that again thank you so much for listening have yourselves a great week and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.